So today I want to talk about blindness. I want to talk about blindness to the truth. You know, there's a lot of people that are blind to a lot of opportunities. Have you ever seen or been around somebody and the perfect opportunity is right in front of them and you say, can't you see? It's right there. It's right there. Just take the advantage. You know, I, I, you know, a lot of times people will talk about the fact that after school is when we become interested in learning. But when we're 17, we're like, whatever. I don't want to learn anything. This is dumb. Not that, I mean, I'm just talking about myself. I'm not picking on anybody else, okay? So I'm not saying, well, yeah, all the kids stay. Back when we were in school, we were 17 and going, more, teacher, more. No, that's not how it happened. Okay. But then later, I, I mean, I taught history, and I'd hear people say, I didn't like history in high school, and now I can't stop watching the History Channel. And I really wish I would have listened when I had the opportunity. Because now, guess what happens after high school? If you want to take a history class, you've got to pay for it. Okay, and once you pay for it, it gets expensive, things like that. So there's opportunities right in front of us, and sometimes we just blow by them, and we just don't think of, you know, this could be something really good for us, and we're looking at maybe the things of this world, and we're missing the main point that's right there. The famous atheist Bertrand Russell made a famous quote. He said, if you were faced with God when he died... He would demand an explanation for why God had made the evidence of his existence so insufficient. So Bertrand Russell, his, his solution is that God is, didn't do enough for him. God did not make enough available to him to make a decision to follow God. And there's a lot of thought that goes around. A lot of people said, yeah, I mean, we come to church. Why doesn't God just come to my, my house every Sunday morning? Wake me up. Hey, it's God. Tap you on the shoulder. Come on to church. We're going to have a good time. Okay? Why doesn't God do what we want Him to? Why doesn't, when you're trying to make a decision, why doesn't God just write in the sky for us? Should I take this job? John, no. You know? Why is it that God doesn't reveal Himself that way? Why isn't there not a fireworks show every night? Of God just saying, here I am, I'm putting on a show for you guys, just so you know I'm always here. Why is it that way? And do we, we want to let us, we want to know that he is around, but you know what it really comes down to? We think God should do it the way we think is best, because we think we're smarter than God. Now that's a hard fact to accept. But sometimes, a lot of people think, that, I think Bertrand Russell I love how he's going to go up to the guy who created heavens and earth, and he's going to demand an explanation. And I'm sure God's going to go, oh, I never thought of that before, Bertrand Russell. You just got me. I'm so happy. I know you've been taught at a lot of universities, and you're amazing, so I'm just going to sit and listen to you. No, he's going to give him the Job speech. Where were you when I put the earth together? Where were you when I set this thing in? Who do you think you are? Because God has given us what we need, but you know what? It's up to us to open our eyes and see what God has done for us. God is available to us. God is, has given us sufficient proof of what we need because without, if He did it our way, our faith would be incomplete. Our faith would be wrong. He wants to do it so there's an intimate relationship with us. And yeah, it's not going to be the way we want, 
But here's it is with a lot of times with God, it's going to be exactly the way that we need. So we're going to be in Mark 8 today, verses 1 through 26. We're going to go through a lot of verses, and, uh, but there's all these stories linked together. And I'll start with verses 1 through 10 first. It says, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days, and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry through their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he, took, he, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalamutha. Now, if you've been with us this whole series, you may think to yourself, didn't we hear a story about this before? Is Pastor John just recycling sermons now? Does he think he can slide that bias? We heard the feeding of the, the thousands. Well, that was the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, this is the feeding of the 4,000. Now, the point is, you should remember that there was another story. Okay, and you know who also should remember there's another story? The people that were in the story. Okay, if we can sit here now and say, boy, that sounds familiar. Fish, bread, baskets left over. Wow. It's like Jesus can do it multiple times. And so this is a different story. We've got 5,000 to 4,000. It's in a Gentile area instead of a Jewish area. There's seven loaves and a small fish instead of five loaves and two fish. There's not just men. There's women and children here. They use the word for men. They use bigger baskets and there's only seven of them. But it is another story of feeding people. And they, they, again, the people here saw the miracle. They saw the, I mean, Jesus do such a great miracle, and the disciples saw such a miracle. Now, what you need to understand, first of all, is Jesus had compassion on the crowd like he did before. It said in verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd. People were willing to come and see Jesus for three days without food. They were coming, they were so interested in seeing him, and he had compassion on them big need. Jesus sees it, and we need to understand, just a side note here, that Jesus sees when there is a need. Don't think that God is blind. Well, we're going to talk about blindness. God is not blind to our needs. Jesus looks out at 4,000 people and has compassion on them and sees they have need. And he calls his disciples together. And I'm just going to kind of interject here, but he calls his disciples together saying, you see it? You see what's going on? Ready? No. No. Here's, the, here's his disciples. And he says, I have compassion, in verse 2, on the crowd because they have been with me. Now three days I have nothing to eat, and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. 
And some of them come far away. And his disciples answered him, We've done this before. Let's do it again. That would be a better story. Okay? But it's not a realistic story. It's not, how did they really answer him? He says, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Hmm. You mean like we did before? You mean like God's already told us? He, you mean Jesus? You mean the guy? And you wonder why Jesus gets frustrated. Okay? Because they're asking him the same question in the same spot. And he says, and they come up with that. And don't you, don't you see the pattern? And he says, even this desolate place is the same words. And what does Jesus do? He takes the bread. He thanks God for it. He gives it out. And guess what? It expands. I don't know how that happened. Again, multiple questions I have for God. Show me how you do the multiplying of bread. Love to see it. Okay, how do you take the multiplying of fish? Love to see it. All right, don't know. God has chosen, I mean, Mark has not chosen to tell us. Maybe something we don't need to know. And the seven baskets. But you see also about God, when he looks at a need, and when God takes care of a need, what happens? Verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. One thing I want you to understand about blindness If we're blind to God and we're blind to his provision, blind to the things that he wants to do in our lives, we are going to miss out on the satisfaction of God. Because he wants to provide for us in such a way that we will be satisfied. And nothing in this world that is outside of God will give us this satisfaction. Nothing else will do that. But we think... No, we'll do it our way. We'll do it another way. We're not going to follow after God. Nothing's going to satisfy. And you say, what was it about bread and fish that were so wonderful to them? I I think, have you ever eaten in a place when you're really hungry and everything just tastes good? Or you've been out working and you're so hot and some water comes to you and it's like the best water ever. It could just be terrible. Okay, it doesn't have to be you know, spring water from, you know, hand taken up by a person for you. It doesn't matter. It just tastes so wonderful. But here it is, God reaching out and satisfying the needs of people. Because if we're not blind to God, that's what he wants to do for us. But you know what we don't see in here? We don't see necessarily a a record of anybody becoming saved. We don't necessarily see a record even of the disciples catching on because blindness is something that they're still struggling with. Now, the next story that comes in this theme of blindness is the Pharisees. They come back because Jesus takes off and goes back to Galilee. He goes back to the home field. He goes back with the Jewish people. And guess what happens when he goes back to the home field? The Pharisees, and basically a Pharisee is a self-appointed religious person. They don't really have a position as much as they tell everybody how important they are because they have self-appointed themselves to let everybody know how sinful they are. I have met people like this that have become self-appointed that think that their job is to tell everybody else how sinful they are. Guess what? There's no need for this position. Okay, it's not a need, but here, here where they were doing this. And 
So these self-appointed Pharisees, this read 11 through 13, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking him from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Okay, so here they come, and they said, give us a sign. Now you say to yourself, feeding people, casting out demons, um, you know, I'm sorry, healing people, uh, telling people that their sins are forgiven. Has he done a few signs here before? Yes. Now, the word here is not miracle. They want their own kind of sign. And the other thing is, look how they came to him. I think you need to come at this clearly. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. They had zero intention of listening to him. Because when you come with an argumentative attitude, and we all really get into our heads, and when I do uh, premarital counseling or marital counseling, the first thing I say is when you're arguing with your spouse, are you listening or are you coming up with your own ideas in your head? Uh, mostly li- coming up with my own ideas in my head of what I want to say. Okay, because that's what we do, especially we're coming in for an argument. We're going to come in. I mean, it's like watching these new guys on the, on new, on the TV news. They're completely there to listen to one another, aren't they? No, they're there to scream at one another. And, and they, I don't even, if, if you left and say, name three things the other person said, I'll give you like serious money if you do that. Uh, I was just there to scream at him. And that's basically, this is what they are doing right here. And so they come and they seek to discredit him. They dispute, they argue with him. They're pushing their own point of view. They're not even looking for a miracle. They want a sign. And a sign, they want to see fire called down from heaven. They want to see an apocalyptic sun. They want to see something amazing. They want God to do this. But you know what? The way that they're coming at it, and Jesus is understanding this, would that have made them believe? Because I think of Elijah when he called down fire from heaven. And it didn't take very long for the king who sat there to turn away from God. I'm sorry, but I think fire down from heaven is about the coolest thing I could ever see. Where you pray and fire comes down from heaven. A tube of fire. I remember these things. I have never seen anything that cool in my entire life. Okay? But just a little bit later, the people are already away from God. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They went into a fire, right? Furnace and didn't burn up. That's cool. That's pretty amazing. How long did it take for the people to fall away from God? Oh, we're going to serve God forever. Mm. How about the Red Sea parting? How long did it take for the people to mumble and say, we'd rather be back in Egypt, it's better there. So in other words, people that say God, coming back to our friend Mr. Russell here, uh, who say, if God would just show himself in the way I think, then I would believe. No. Because if you don't want to believe, and if you're coming just to test God, and coming for this certain miracle that you think is going to work for you, God knows what's best for you. And he looks at these people, and he says, you have seen the miracles. He has seen the hope. And you know what they wanted, the Pharisees wanted? They wanted Jesus to become the Messiah that they wanted, 
which was to do what? To become, take up the sword and kill the Gentiles. Drive the Gentiles away. Drive the Romans away. And what did Jesus just prove with his little run through the Gentile land? He was there to heal the Gentiles. He was there to have compassion on the Gentiles. He was there to have compassion on people that were hurting. Jesus didn't want to kill them. He wanted to save their souls. He was different than what they wanted. And the God that we may want is that vindictive God. Or a lot of people say, God, why don't you just judge those people? Why don't you just go after them? You know what God says? I want to save those people. Is there judgment coming? Yes. Was that the point of Jesus coming to earth? No. His point was to come to bring hope and life to people. So he says, you will not get a sign. And he says this in a, in a Jewish saying that says, may God do this to me if this is not true. You will not receive a sign. And he said, and for the rest of the book, we only see the Pharisees appear one time and Jesus no longer will talk to them. He's basically saying, you guys, I'm done with you. What a sad thing to have happen that he's done with them. So we come back to the disciples. Okay, now, if I was writing a story, I might let the disciples off once and say, okay, maybe they forgot about feeding 5,000 with 12 extra baskets. Again, I, I don't know how, because I think that's just that cool. Um, this is me. So here's here, verse 14 to 21. He says, now they had forgotten to bring bread. You see a theme here. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did that take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So here we have the disciples. They're in, the, they're in a boat with Jesus. Now this time they're with Jesus. And they forgot bread, but they had one. So this is one of those things that kind of confuses people. They forgot bread, but they had one loaf. And a lot of people are trying to figure out, well, how do you forget and still have one? And if we study this, and if we study the way Mark writes, you know what he's saying right here? He is most likely teasing the reader by referring that they did have Jesus with them, the only bread of life that they needed. That's the only explanation that really makes sense here, is they had Jesus with them, there's no need for any other bread. But they don't see it that way. He wants, Mark wants us to recognize the fact that Jesus is the loaf. Jesus is the bread of life that can take care of us in any need that we may have. He is there for us. And so then, after the, he saw that they had no bread, he cautioned them saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and, and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven at this time is not what we have in modern-day yeast, okay? I did some study of, of, in a book about ancient baking techniques. And you're like, I picked the right week to come because there's nothing better than first-century baking techniques. 
I'm going to just summarize it for you quickly when he uses this word. First of all, leaven in the Old Testament means evil. Watch out for the leaven. Watch out for the leaven. It's always used in the Old Testament. But in, the new te- in this time period, uh, it's not yeast that you buy in the store and you make bread. It makes yummy donuts and things like that. I'm making you all hungry. It's not a good idea. Never talk about food. Um, but the ancient world, they used the more dangerous leaven. It was produced by keeping a, back a piece of the previous week's dough, storing it in suitable conditions. Remember, no refrigeration, no clean water, uh, and adding juices to promote the process of fer- fermentation. But this homemade rising agent was fraught with health hazards because it could easily become tainted. It would then spread poison when baked with the rest of the dough. It, in turn, would infect the next batch. That is the idea Jesus is saying. So he's saying, first of all, you know leaven. In the Old Testament, you know that that was bad. And also leaven today, you take your chances when you go to the bakery. Because if they get a bad batch of leaven, it spreads to everything else. So he's warning them, don't fall for what the Pharisees are doing. Don't fall and be taken away by this. And so what did they do? He's warning them to not fall away and be like the Pharisees that they just saw. The disciples, God bless them. There is an example for us. They said, is he mad at us because we didn't have any bread? Is he mad at us because we didn't have any bread? And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So Jesus lays on them one of the biggest spiritual principles. He says, watch out for this. This is important. Watch out that you are not taken in. Watch out that you're not poisoned by what the Pharisees are teaching. Watch out that you look for spiritual matters and you don't look past things. And you know what? Watch out, guys. You kind of missed the 5,000, 4,000 thing. I think he was kind of giving them a little, you should have caught that. And hear what they say. They start arguing about bread. And, I th- and what I think that Mark is trying to tell us is when people are confronted with their spiritual needs, Sometimes we worry about our, our physical needs first. We worry about right, right in front of us, and we give up on the fact of what's really important. We talk about going to church, but we say, if I take the time to go to church, or if I take the time to give, or if I do this, my material needs might not be met as well. And so we're just like the disciples. Jesus wants to do great and mighty things in us, and we're worried about if we have enough bread. We could have heard the greatest thing. God wanted to do something amazing, wanted to teach us something amazing. And we're thinking about, well, if I don't work, if I don't do this, if I don't have my needs right now, and we overlook the fact that God wants to do greater things than we can ever imagine. So, Jesus gives them one of the strongest warnings right here. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Whose heart was hardened in the Old Testament? Pharaoh's? Ouch. That's his disciples he's talking about. Do you not perceive or not understand? Who doesn't perceive or not understand? The Pharisees. Do you, are are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? So he challenges them right here. And he says, you are in danger. He already warned them with the leaven. You are in danger of falling away from God. 
Now, for all of us here today, we might say to ourselves, my faith would be perfect, and I, I think I could fall in this category, if I could have been one of the disciples that were around Jesus all the time. Now, I, I'm saying that that's not a bad situation. Every day, wake up, Jesus is right there. You get to ask Jesus questions. You say, I want to talk to Jesus. Oh, I'll pray, and no, there's Jesus sitting right next to you. And we may say, it must have been so much easier for them. They must have never had any problems with their faith. Here Jesus is saying, you guys are on the verge of losing it completely. Because you can't stop looking at the things of this world. What does that tell us today when we don't have a physical Jesus here? We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and watch out for the blindness that comes in this world. We might start focusing on on where our next meal comes from and our bread and things like that. Why do you think Jesus says, pray to God, give us our daily bread? So we don't worry about it. We look after the things of God. Because he is saying, you'll miss out on what I am doing. Because God is at work all around us. Bertrand Russell is wrong. God has given us plenty of evidence for his existence. And he gives us plenty of evidence every day that he is moving in our life. We have to open up our eyes. And don't you remember Don't you see? Don't you see what he has done? Don't you know where he has brought you from? Haven't you seen the miracles? When Darth comes to speak next week, you'll hear some of the greatest miracles that ever happened in a young boy's life where he is saved and now thousands of people are saved. Don't you see what God is doing? He is doing things. He's alive. So don't worry about these things. And he gives them a little a little question and answer thing. And I'm thinking they're answering these questions not feeling real good about themselves. How many loaves did you have in the first one? Five. How many basketfuls did you have? Twelve. Can you imagine? He's totally got them. He is just like, and how many did you grab the second time? Seven. Do you see a pattern? And the fact that Jesus is not more obnoxious to his disciples is amazing to me. Some people say, well, he's, he's kind of, he can be a little difficult, but my goodness, how difficult can people be? And he, verse 21, though, he gives them hope. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Some of your translations will say still. What this means is God's not done with you. God's not done with you with the disciples. In fact, this is the transition to the second half of the book where he's going to really start working with the disciples and really get the message of who he is so they understand when we took communion today, he's going to explain that the breaking of bread, the fact that he has to die for them, the fact that he has to be sacrificed for them, this is all going to be explained for them. And a lot of it's still not going to even happen until after the resurrection. But they're going to start to see and he's not done with them. And you know what? He's not done with you. If you're here today and you've been blind to what God is doing, he is not done with you at all. Now the next story pops up. This is a story that only appears in the Gospel of Mark. Remember, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, usually have uh, their own stories that are together. And John just does his own thing because he's John. And so verse 22 says, And they came... To Bethsaida, and brought and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. 
And they took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home, saying, Do not enter the village. Okay. Again with Jesus and the spitting. Okay. We talked about this before. He did the spitting once before. And we talked about why the spitting at this time was the emperor supposedly, if you weren't here, the emperor supposedly could spit. And if you could touch the emperor's spit because he was Lord and Savior, the emperor, you could be healed. And Jesus is like, whatever. (laughs) See that? I'm Lord and Savior. The emperor can't do that. Again, this is not a recommended healing technique. We do not use the spit in the eye healing technique. If you come and pray with one of our prayer ministers after service, there will be no spitting. I want that to be clear. We, we find this as a good story, but we don't use it as a technique because it was only a technique. Again, he is trying to speak directly. But have you ever listened, read this story and say, what's the deal with the halfway healing? What's the deal with just healing him a little bit and then healing him more? And why does this story even fit here? And why does Mark the only one who ever tells this story? See, because it's all fitting in this blindness thing. He's trying to illustrate to his disciples, this is where you are. And this is what is going to happen. You're going to get, this is going to come in stages to you. I'm going to be explaining it to you and you're going to see kind of trees, things like that happening. He says, and then when the resurrection happens, the Holy Spirit comes and all of that, then you're going to go, wow, we can see it now. We understand. You ever read through the Gospels and it said, this is the time when Jesus told his disciples about his resurrection. This is the time that they should have known. This is the time that Jesus declared all food clean. This is the time. You know who's writing this? Somebody that's about 60 years after the fact, 50 years after the fact, 30 years after the fact. They're writing it saying, this is the time But you know the reason they know it? Because they see the whole story now. So this story is put there for us. And Jesus does this miracle in this man's life to see that we're not going to see everything clearly all the time. But there will come a time when we will see everything clearly. In our lives, when God is moving in our lives, he will make things clear for us as needed. And you know when we're going to see everything clearly? Because Paul later says, we see through a glass darkly right now. In other words, we don't see everything that's going on in this world. We don't understand. How many times have you said to yourself, why God, why? And if you haven't said that, I, I I think we've all said that. Why God? Why did this happen? Why is this going this way? Why is my life going this way and not that way? Why am I this? Why am I that? But when we get to heaven, when we get to see God, when we get to see him and the revelation is complete, our answers will be complete. But for now, he's taken us through step by step by step. We see things now somewhat clearly. When we're outside of Christ, we're completely blind. When we, when we come to Christ, he starts to make us see some. But eventually, when we are with him in heaven, we will see everything clearly. Everything will be taken for us. So what I want you to know today, if you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ, 
You need to understand that, that we are blind to the things of God. That we are blinded by this world. But I want to talk to everybody else who's here who's a Christian, who's like the disciples. They're followers of Jesus Christ, but they're not getting it. Okay? I think the disciples, after looking at this, when this was written, if the few that were alive were probably like, we don't look so good in this. This is not a story that I want to tell. Uh, do you really have to write that about us? And I think they got the fact that it was important to understand. But we need to understand, we need to be looking for God. We need to be not worrying about the things of this world. We need to say, God, take away my blindness. Let me see where you are working in my life. Don't let me stumble around and think that you're not here because you are here. Don't let me get so focused on the things of this world where you tell me this incredible truth and I worry about bread instead. When I say, God, I need a job, and we forget the fact that God has provided every job that we've ever had in the past. God, I need, I'm in financial need. I need help. Did God provide for you in the past? Do you not remember? God, I'm, I'm hurting. Has God not taken care of you? Yes. Do you not remember? Maybe that's the thing that we can all do. Let's get the blindness off and understand what God wants to do. Why don't you stand with me right now? Our prayer ministers are going to come forward. If you'd like someone to pray with you, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made him the master of your life, you've never allowed him to remove the blindness in you, come and see, talk to one of our prayer ministers. If you're here today and you're in need, I want you to understand that this, ver- this section of the Bible should be a call to prayer and saying, has God been there for you in the past? The answer is yes. Does that mean he's not going to let you down now because he didn't let you down in the past? Sometimes we just have to hear stories of the past. And for the disciples, it was just, I don't know how many, we don't know the gap of time in between this, but we can quickly forget. We may see a great miracle. We may may forget the fact of where God brought us out of. We may forget the fact that we've seen the miracles of God in our life. We've seen the provision of him in life. We've seen how he's taken care of us. We've seen how he's brought us through difficult times. And we think, well, maybe he can't do it this time. And Jesus, I want that that thing to click in your head. Do you not remember who I am? Do you not remember that I fed those people, that I healed those people, that I took care of you, that I can take care of you today? And there's nothing that can stop me. Lord, I'm going to thank you today that you want to remove the blindness, God. You wanted to, Lord, raise up a church with your disciples, and you did, God. They, they became a, a mighty force that turned the world upside down after this time. God, you didn't give up on them, and you're not going to give up on us. But God, you want us to remember what you have done. You want us to open our eyes and our ears, be in tune with your spirit, and see what you have for us in this world, God. Things aren't going to come to us the way we want, God, because that's not the way that would be good for us. You have the hope for us today, God. Now I just ask, God, that you just help us this week, God. Help us to understand that there are people out there that are blind to your truth. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to flow, God, to open up blind eyes, God, and so that we may bring the gospel to those in need, God. 
We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our prayer ministers are available. Otherwise, you are dismissed.